Welcome to Beaver Trails, a damn good podcast, bringing you inside the world of OSHAs and providing you with a behind-the-scenes look at what goes on in Beaver Nation. I'm Heather Wilford, the Senior Assistant Director of Multicultural Recruitment. And I'm Amanda Price, Assistant Director of Resident Recruitment. Thanks for tuning in. Heather, what's one of your favorite things about living in Oregon? You know, Amanda, coming from Montana, I think one of the favorite things I have with uh, being in Oregon is the fact that I'm so close to the coast now. Being able to just drive an hour away and be at the ocean is awesome. I love that. Absolutely. I remember my first day as a student, I met my roommate, and that's the very first thing we did is drive out to the coast. And I've also loved how we get to go out to Hatfield Marine Science Center, now working there, um, and visit Oregon State's campus in Newport. Definitely. And today we have another person who probably also loves that we live not too far from the coast. Today's guest is Miguel Goñi, an OSU professor in the College of Earth, Ocean, and Atmospheric Sciences. Miguel received both his bachelor's and PhD in oceanography from the University of Washington, and his research focuses on the cycling of natural organic matter in the Earth's surface, mainly in environments such as the ocean, estuaries, and rivers. He is and has been a member of numerous professional organizations, including the American Society for Geophysical Union and the Society for Advancement of Chicanos and Native Americans in Science, among others. Welcome, Miguel. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Miguel, we like to start all of our podcasts by asking our guests, what's your favorite place to get coffee on campus? My favorite place on campus is the um, engineering building um, that has the, you know, the Beautiful architecture, the open, um, was it, I don't remember, is it, what's the name of that building? Oh, is it in Kelly? Kelly, Kelly yes, yes. Yeah. That's an Emming, and every once in a while there's actually somebody playing the piano, so it just makes Oh, it, yeah. Yeah, it's a very cool place. All right, so now the real questions. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this field and what initially got you interested in studying the environment? All right, yeah, so um, I, I grew up in uh, northern Spain. Um, mm -hmm in a town that's kind of like Corvallis. It's a little bigger, Pamplona, but it's about an hour from the coast. And uh, I had family that lived in the coast. And um, even as a little kid, we would go there and spend quite a bit of time. And um, I was just fascinated by the ocean. I watched some of the documentaries like uh, Jacques Cousteau, Underwater World, and mm -hmm. so on. And I, I thought I was going to be a fisherman, commercial fisherman, uh, or maybe tried my luck at oceanography. I didn't know that you could actually make a living as an oceanographer, but uh, that what kind of sort of pushed me towards, uh, yeah, my experience and love of the ocean. I love that um, and love Spain too. Uh, definitely an amazing place. Your current research focuses on investigating the sources, uh, transport, and fate of organic matter in coastal environments. Can you break down what that means for the listeners and maybe Amanda and I who are just learning a little bit more about that field? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, my main, so organic matter is basically uh, refers to any living organism and it's detritus of materials, you know, after they die. They're basically the food source for almost all the ecosystems on earth, right? Uh, algae that grow and then uh, herbivores eat that algae and that those herbivores get eaten by carnivores. So really the organic matter is just a way of uh, studying ecosystems from a chemistry point of view. And my interest is really looking at the connections between land ecosystems, so ecosystems on land, forests, grasslands, mountains, the rivers that connect them to the ocean, the estuaries, and then the coastal ocean where I do most of my work. So it's really, um, by training an oceanographer, but I'm, I'm kind of always looking 
not always, but in general, I look upstream to see what's coming in from land and kind of try to understand how what happens on land affects what happens in the oceans and vice versa. I mean, I feel like I understand it now. (laughs) Well, it's kind of perfectly tied to the next question because we want to know a little bit more since your research goes beyond the Oregon coast, what you just said about going to land, what's it like to connect with researchers across the globe? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the great things about, uh, I think, ocean sciences, right? Oceanography is, uh, there are oceanographers all over the world. And the amazing thing is to either be on a ship uh, working with people from all over the world and learning that a lot of our interests are common. We have common experiences. Uh, and then the fact that, yeah, they have read my papers, I've read their papers, so it's really fun. So I'm lucky enough to be uh, able to sail with all sorts of people from all over the world, Southern Hemisphere, Northern Hemisphere, Atlantic, Pacific, Indian. Uh, it really is a great community of, uh, of seagoing oceanographers, which is what I consider myself. I, I like to go to sea and be on ships. And so that's, that's been a great, great experience. Are, are there land going oceanographers? <laughs> is that there are, I mean, yeah, there are. So not all oceanographers have to be at sea. There are many oceanographers okay. that, for example, use satellites. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they can sit in their, you know, computer engineers, computer scientists. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of modelers. Um, I know a lot of oceanographers that get quite seasick. So, you know, they have sometimes challenges when they go to sea. <laughs> that uh, is the best sound bite. We will take that. <laughs> yeah, but, but most of us uh, have gotten seasick in the past and we usually we get used to it. I mean, you, you just need to get your sea legs. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but yeah, there's great oceanography departments in, all over the world. Most of them are associated with a coastal ocean location, but there are some that are in the middle of the country. You've definitely been able to get your sea legs because you have been, uh, had a lot of experience out on the water for sure. You participated in over 50 oceanographic cruises and over 20 of those as the chief or co-chief scientist. So first, what's it like to do research from a cruise or a vessel, like to do it out on the open water? It's the best, it's the best thing. <laughs> Yeah, so much. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it, I consider it kind of like being an astronaut, astronaut and being out in the space. You are really, especially on the, you know, those longer cruises where you're out for, you know, four or five weeks, you are in this little world. There's, you know, you have a, a crew of incredible scientists, hardworking people from the captain all the way to the, to the cooks that are all there working together to make your cruise, your expedition be a success. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, very few experiences like that. And uh, yeah, it's, if I could, I would spend much more time at sea than I do. Yeah. Um, but yeah it's, 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 yeah, it's really fantastic. It's just a great, great experience. Highly recommend it to anyone that's interested. Will you take Amanda and I out on the next, next cruise? We have no nothing, but we will. That, that's okay. You know, in fact, we were just wor- talking about it. We are planning a cruise, uh, a student cruise, and we can talk more about it later, undergraduate student cruise that we have. It's challenging now because of the COVID-19 situation. Yeah. So we have to do some planning. There's a quarantine period we have to plan. So it's a little, the logistics, logistics are a little more complicated, but um, yeah, we've, I've taken, I've had people from all over, uh, all sorts of backgrounds to go out and experience, including sometimes even, uh, yeah, people like you, that communications and so on. Cause I mean, I can talk about it, but if you experience it, <laughs> then you can really talk about it. So definitely. <laughs> Well, thinking back on all of those cruises, is there when one that really sticks out as the most memorable or maybe your favorite to reflect back on? I think I have two examples for that. One is my first cruise where somebody said, okay, Miguel, you're in charge now for the next six days. You are the chief scientist. I was still a student. 
I had this 270 foot vessel at my command. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> also very scary because suddenly you had to, you know, you, you had to have locations where you had to go. You had to talk to the captain about what's safe and how to operate and then go talk to your, uh, to your science crew. And uh, so that was really, I mean, I think that was sort of, that was a long time ago, but that sort of, uh, I got hooked. And, and then probably the most incredible, and if anybody has a chance is I've sailed in a few um, uh, icebreakers. And so I'm being in the ocean that's covered by ice. That is, oh, wow. that is uh, again, a unique experience. Uh, breaking ice and sailing through a ice cover ocean is the best. Otherworldly, it's so cool. Otherworld, yeah. I feel like not many people get to do that. Is it a very limited group that you're a part of? Do you have a club that you're? <laughs> there, there are, yeah. Well, you know, we do have, there are, you know, people are being on the ocean for a long time. So there's all sorts of, but they're kind of secret. Uh, so there's a group called the Blue Nose. Uh, there you go. I've, I've gone up to the Arctic and mm -hmm. I can't tell you anything more about it. Oh, <laughs> very secret. <laughs> yes, very secret. You cross equator, there's another, you know, you cross. So there are, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, uh, humans are being out in the ocean for a long time. Uh, anyways, it's really, yeah, very, very cool. That's awesome. Um, so you mentioned it already, but can you go into a little bit more detail about how any of your oceanographic cruises have had undergraduates assisting with the research and how they are involved? Yes. So almost every cruise I've been on has undergraduate students, especially if, well, even when they're remote locations, if, uh, you know, it does take a little bit of extra money, but uh, to, to travel and take people. But uh, that's how I started in oceanography. I mean, I, I was an undergraduate student when I went on my first couple of cruises with my advisor, and I thought this was outstanding. So most oceanographic cruises, um, it's a 24-hour, seven-day operation. So we don't take Sundays and weekends off. It's so expensive to be at sea with a large vessel and all the crew that we basically operate 24 hours. And so we end up working in shifts, meaning that you either have a 12 hour shift or eight on, eight off and so on. And so that means that you need people to be able to make, you know, to do everything that we do. So undergraduate students become an integral part of the science crew. They're just like anybody else. You need somebody to be able to record data, somebody to help with instruments, somebody able to process samples. And so it's a very intense and, um, but you know, very fun way of working my own experience is what I like is you end up spending a lot of quality time. You know, ships are big, but they're not that big. And so you see the same people at lunch and dinner and breakfast, and then you work with them. So you get to know them very well. Your, your crewmates become usually friends. Sometimes, you know, that doesn't happen. So anyways, it's a great, great opportunity for students to really interact with uh, other students, faculty, researchers. It's just, just a, it's, it's the most fun, the most fun experience you can have as a as an undergraduate or a graduate student interested in ocean. One of the things that we talk a lot about with prospective students is the fact that OSU really tries to get you out there and get experiential learning and things. And students are really interested in that, but are a little nervous about how to get involved with it. Um, do you have any advice for incoming students or you know, undergraduates who are maybe getting involved with research? A couple, a couple comments on that. So uh, I, I got started in science working in a laboratory with somebody that needed somebody help, you know, washing dishes and slowly started into something that actually ended up becoming my, my PhD project. So it, it really is anything that we can do, uh, anything as a student, as, income, that you, as an incoming student that you can do to get yourself involved in, in a laboratory, in a group, 
uh, it's a great thing. And OSU has some tribal programs. I mean, they have OSU Engage, STEM Leaders. So there's a lot of opportunities at the, at the, at the university level. Different colleges and departments have also very good programs. My advice is always to students that come in is if you're interested in getting some experiential experience working in a laboratory or volunteering in a field, go meet with your advisors and tell them, hey, I'm really interested in this. And you'll be surprised how many faculty like me are looking exactly for that, for students that are interested in learning. So that happens almost in every university, but OSU, especially in our college, we have, we really do pride ourselves on experiential learning. And in fact, we have probably something that's unique. I think, I don't know how many, we actually have, um, you know, several days on a research vessel, modern research vessel dedicated uh, just to learning. So it's, it's called a field oceanography course or introduction to field oceanography. I teach that. And that typically happens during spring break. And that typically takes, you know, 12, 14, 20 students on a ship and we just go out and do oceanography. And so that usually is a course, uh, you know, uh, the numbers are oceanography, ocean science, oceanography 295, 296. And that provides students with, uh, yeah, it's a very different experience than being in a pleasure vessel or going on a sailing vessel. It really is a full, it's our oceanography uh, research vessel that we have out of OSU, the Oceanus. Uh, and we spend, you know, several days just 100% dedicated to learn how to do oceanography. So great experience. All this, I mean, it's, my favorite course that I ever teach is the, mo the most fun. I think almost every student that's taking enjoys it tremendously. Well, you read my mind because my next question was basically what makes Oregon State's College of Earth, Ocean, Atmospheric Sciences unique or special or the best? Is there anything you want to add to what you just talked yeah, about? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not only it's not only the classes that we teach, but uh, and there, I should say the geoscience department has the same thing with field trips, you know, geology field trips. But the other thing is because we do have a lot of researchers that work in the field, whether it be on ships or, you know, land or whatever, most of us uh, have groups that involve uh, that kind of research for our own students, including undergraduate. I think, I don't know how many undergraduate students have worked in my lab, but there's a long, long list. Almost, I would say almost all of them have spent some time at sea or in the field with me and, uh, and my other students. And, and that I think is just, at least for me, that was, that's the most fun about my work. So students get a hands-on opportunity to do it, uh, and it's it's great that our college has so many field going, and, and those opportunities expand to the students that are working in, in their groups. You talked a little bit about some of the courses that students can take, and I like to kind of search through our course catalog and look for interesting titles and classes that exist at Oregon State, and one that comes up is one that you teach called Exploring the Deep. Can you tell us a little bit about what students would learn from taking this course? So Exploring the Deep is a non-science major oceanography 103, right? And it's basically an introduction to ocean sciences, but we kind of teach it from the point of view, we try to make it, I teach it usually with a colleague of mine, Rick Caldwell, who's another professor in the college. And we try to make it um, basically highlight just how interesting, fun, exciting, complicated, but really intriguing, processes happening in the ocean. So that also has a field trip in it. So we, we do, we don't go on a ship because usually we have, you know, hundred or 200 students. So it's hard to fit them all in a boat, but we do spend a day, uh, half a day in half field and half a day out in the, in the, on the coast, we, uh, we go to seal rock typically. So it's a uh, really get to go see intertidal communities, uh, just understand how the geology and the 
chemistry and the biology and you know the currents and tides all interact at that location. It's um, it's a fun, a very fun course. Many of the students, you know, it is in one of the few science requirements that they take. But some of our students, you know, especially if they take it early on in their career, they say, "Oh, this sounds really interesting." And so we have turned a few students into ocean majors <laughs> with that class. I will say I was a speech communications major at Oregon State and I took this class and I was like, it was fascinating. I loved it. Yeah, great. Very good. But sorry, I didn't switch to science. I, I don't have your brain. Oh, I mean, we don't want everybody <laughs> to be a scientist. We, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, there, it's actually communication is very important. So I'm glad there are people that are working on that. Okay. I'll talk about your program. That's what I'll do. She, she took the class and so now she can interview you. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. And explain it probably much better than I can. So I think one of our last questions that we have for you is how your field has changed since you began. Uh, yeah, quite a few changes. Um, probably one of the biggest change is just when I, my first cruise, again, a long time ago, I think there was like two women in the whole ship. Now it's over 50%. So one of the incredible thing, it was, it's great, is that a much greater women representation. In fact, if you start thinking about graduate students, uh, the majority of our graduate students in ocean science are women. Um, so that's being a, a great change. We have women captains, we have women engineers, we have women science, you know, scientists, chief scientists. And that is, uh, the history is, it's been tough. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not old enough to remember some of the maybe worst parts, you know, in terms of discrimination. But uh, but now I think, again, you probably should talk to a women ocean, woman oceanographer to really get the whole the full, uh, full picture. But, but that's a big change. The other change that I see is uh, technology. You know, it used to be you go out there, you use, you know, because it's at sea, big waves, you use big equipment, you put it down, you bring it back some samples, and then you have, you know, three years of, of work. Now we're using you know, technology that's linked with, you know, sensors, it's linked with satellites, it's linked with, you know, robots under RSC robots. Uh, our ships now are just, they're just an incredible array of observational tools. And so, you know, it used to be when I first was my chief son, you go out, you go for a, for a month or three weeks, and you come back and they usually we give you a, you know, in those days, maybe a floppy disk or maybe a cassette with data. Now we get you know, terabytes. I mean, we, we just get, you know, it's, it's, so the amount of data is just incredible. And that, that actually is one of the big, probably the biggest bottlenecks is we have so many observations that we need people that are able to handle data. So we are, you know, I think big data, just like in everything else in our, in our civilization is something that has affected oceanography. So that's probably the biggest, biggest change. Lots of changes. Yeah. Lots of changes. That's excellent. I think some of our listeners who are prospective high school students won't know the words floppy disk, so we might have to have. <laughs> They're gonna have to start their research early. Oh, I, yeah. I should have brought us a prop. I think if I go down, yeah. I can actually yeah. show you my PhD in a floppy disk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, that that's yeah, that's. Well, Miguel, thanks so much for being here today. I know I learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners did as well. I think I am prepared to go on an oceanographic cruise. Hopefully I'm not one of the people that gets seasick, but we, 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 we have ways of treating it. It's like everything else. It's experience. There's a few medicines that you can take and a lot of it is also in your head. So, you know, we can do it. I'm ready to go. Sounds good. 
Well, thanks again. Um, so that's a wrap. Join in next time to hear more about what's happening in Beaver Nation. It'll be a damn good time. Miguel, can we get a Go Beavs to wrap us up? Sure. Uh, go Beavs? That's right. Go Beavs. Thanks.